Welcome to the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's Thanksgiving-themed show, the panelists all give thanks. We talk about Donald Trump, and we finish things off with some medical marijuana. So, my name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at The Monitor, and I'm glad to welcome John Van Fleet. Hello, John. Hello, Clay. Our politics editor and special projects editor and just all-around champion of the people. And Ella Nilsson, one of our erstwhile reporters. Hi, Ella. Hi, Clay. So it is Thanksgiving week, which means, of course, that instead of being at home and celebrating the time with our families, as, as we should be doing, we are here taping another installment of the Political Monitor podcast. So um, I guess we should we should start by talking about what we're thankful for this year. And um, I guess I'll start. I'm thankful that every week I get to spend these special minutes with you guys. It's 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 fun. And also, I'm I'm uh, thankful that we've had such a a news filled primary season thus far. So, John, what what about yourself? That's that's touching, Clay. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say I aim to touch, but then I thought that that just sounded bad. I but then I said it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm I'm thankful that. Uh, We didn't start this podcast with a with a moment of silence like we did last week. This is this is much better. Oh, yeah. But um, I I am I I'm thankful that uh, the newsroom, our reporters are all we have almost a full staff and everyone's kicking butt these days. Our newspapers have been completely full of good news on a day-to-day basis, and that makes me very Well, happy. not necessarily good news, but well-reported news. Yes. <laughs> not happy news. News that uh, that I think the readers enjoy. So. And Ella? Well, I am uh, thankful... Uh, well, I'm thankful that I'm about to uh, head out, and I've got a car full of wine and cheese and desserts, and I'm going to go... Uh, <laughs> Hang up with up north with my family and let's, and... Go, let's go carjack <laughs> carjack the Honda Insight. Wow. Well, now really? I don't feel quite so warm and cuddly about being in here. Now I just want to be in Ella's car. I have uh, I have a trunk filled with wait for it fireworks. Oh, of course. Okay. Doesn't, doesn't everyone are fireworks a traditional Thanksgiving thing? Uh. Oh. <laughs> fireworks are for any holiday and oh. every holiday. You have a big family get together and you shoot things off and everyone goes, ooh, uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, that's fun. 
So, John, I see that you have prepared. Did, did no. I interrupt Ella? And she seemed like she was thankful for more things. Oh, I was just thankful for one more thing. Oh, what's I was thankful, that? I was thankful for, I, I feel like the past couple of weeks I've gotten to, to talk to a lot of really cool people and do some cool interviews. And uh, I some of those are coming out tomorrow. And, yeah, just so, thankful for my job. So let's just follow up on that <laughs> then, since you've given us that wonderful opening. So what are some of these... Wonderful people that you've had the, the opportunity to talk to. Well, so my story that one of my stories uh, in tomorrow's paper is uh, I went earlier this week on Monday to Concord High School to talk to some of the uh, new American students, so students that have come over as refugees from other foreign countries, um, a lot of them escaping civil war and conflict uh, in uh, countries like Liberia and Rwanda and <clears throat> other places like that. And um, I've gone over to the, the high school to talk to these kids uh, once before, and I just always come away from it feeling um, just thankful for uh, all of the things that I have grown up, uh, grown up with and kind of taken for granted, like uh, free public education and uh, living, in, <laughs> living in a free society, I guess. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of these kids are... are work very hard and are very just and we're just talking very candidly about their experiences um, in other countries and when you talk to people that have gone through have lived through civil like horrific civil wars um, and they talk about how great you know getting an education uh, at Concord High School is it, it uh, helps put things in perspective so it was a good it was a good Thanksgiving mm -hmm. story to do absolutely yeah um, so John I see you have what appears to be a spreadsheet mm -hmm. in front of you on this table. Yes. Also in with tiny type. With a with a yellow highlighter. Yeah. So do you care to enlighten us on the information contained in this spreadsheet? Sure. I'm happy to. This okay. uh, this spreadsheet made me very, very happy. I'm okay. thankful for this. <laughs> um so earlier this week Donald Trump um so we're affiliated with PolitiFact. We are mm -hmm. PolitiFact New Hampshire. And so I read, I check out the PolitiFact National site, and uh, I had noticed that Donald Trump was faring quite poorly on the truth meter recently. Um, he said that he was on September 11th, he watched, he was watching in New Jersey as a bunch of people were, quote, cheering, were cheering as the World Trade Center collapsed. That was rated pants on fire. And then he tweeted out uh, uh, some statistics that say uh, blacks kill 81% of white homicide victims. And that was rated pants on fire. And so I started to look into his record and I was wondering, is Donald Trump the least truthful politician ever? And it is important to note that there's actually been some, some coverage of, of this particular issue of Donald Trump's truthfulness, the Daily Beast in particular writing an article titled, Why the Media Can't Tell the Truth About Donald Trump's Lies, mm -hmm. only a couple of days ago, and citing PolitiFact approvingly in the article as someone who's actually trying to separate the truth from the fiction. So, continue, please. So, obviously I can't say whether he is or is not the most 
or least truthful politician ever. But using PolitiFact, and the truth meter is our standard since the history of PolitiFact, uh, I took all the presidential candidates here and I tallied up all of their fact checks. So the rulings are true, mostly true, half true, mostly false, false, and pants on fire. So I've did ratios to figure out who has the most statements that landed either mostly false, between mostly false and pants on fire, so the least truthful part of the scale. And then I did just false and pants on fire, and then I did just pants on fire. And I'm sure, no, no peeking here. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm actually looking at the candidates that are included because you're not just having candidates from this election cycle, right? You're... Well, I threw in some, some historic PolitiFact uh, truth stretchers, how okay. shall we say. And um, so here's what I found out. My hunch was Trump was, so I, about 62% of his... Um, statements were either false or pants on fire. So 62% of the time that he opens his mouth, it's wrong or very ridiculously wrong. Well, at least in terms of the statements checked by PolitiFact. Correct. Thank you for that clarifier. So that's got to be the worst, right, Ella? Right, John. Well, the, let the statistics show that from that the lower, you know, the, le the less truthful rating, you know? So if we're taking that average of the percentage of mostly false to pants on fire, the person mm -hmm. who comes out with the highest percentage, meaning the least truthful, is Ben Carson with 82.6%. Wow. Interesting. Donald Trump, because he's got some mostly falses in there, uh, comes in at 74.6%. And he's number two. Who's and, number three? Well, that's one of those uh, historic PolitiFact truth stretchers. Our good friend Michelle Bachman. Oh. And she will come back to Michelle Bachman. So, now going down a level, looking mm -hmm. at just false and pants on fire. So, in other words, the most egregious of the misstatements. Yes. Carson comes in uh, 56.5%. Mm -hmm. So half, about half the, mm -hmm. half the time he's been checked, he's been false or ridiculously false. Trump comes in, like I said, 62%. So Trump's less truthful than Carson on the bottom end of the scale. However, Ms. Bachman, 62.3%. So she t still takes the cake and she has largely been viewed as the least truthful politician that PolitiFact has encountered. So now just taking pants on fire into mm -hmm. account, the sheer re most ridiculous of political statements. Yes. 21.1% of Trump's statements. Pants on fire. Bachman? 26.2. Oof, he's got some catching up to do. He does. Interesting. But I got them all here. What do you want to know? No, it's it's uh anyone. I got I got the Dems. Yeah, well how does I, how I did uh, Sarah Palin too. 
She was actually not she as bad. She was not too bad. No. How was Hillary? How was Hillary Clinton? She's been checked a ton, <coughs> um, and twenty-eight uh, percent of the time, she is mostly false or below. So that means she's half true to true. Another, uh, you know, seventy-two percent. Mm-hmm. No, and, and again, as I was saying early, uh, earlier, a lot of this does depend to an extent on, on what kind of statements are, are picked to check. You mm-hmm. can't literally check everything that, that someone says. Nope. And, in, and in a way, one of the things about PolitiFact is, too, is that we try, and I've written several of these fact checks myself, is that you, you are actually trying to pick a statement that is checkable. So in other words, someone is trying to say something that is, that is you know, a clear statement of this thing happened or, you know, this particular, um, you know, this particular person believes this or that. You know, there's, there's a, a factual or would-be factual statement that has to be checked. Mm-hmm. Um, just puffery in and of itself, it tends not to be checkable. Or prediction. Right. Or opinion. Right. You know, some, saying something along the lines of, you know, Democrats, you know, want to raise taxes, you know, that's not really a checkable statement mm-hmm. because you could probably find some who do and some who don't saying all democrats always want to raise taxes would perhaps be more checkable since it has an absolute in it but um well that's interesting i myself have been doing some some uh, trump related work here you o- have. over the last over the last few days before we dump out of my spreadsheet here yes let's, uh let me just go through the people on the list who are have a score of 50% or higher, which means that they are on the less, the lower end of the truth meter, mostly mm-hmm. false to pants on fire, more often than not. That includes Ted Cruz, 66.1%. Carly Fiorina, 50% even. Mike Huckabee, 51%. Donald Trump, like we said, 74.6%. Bachman, who's not running for anything, uh, 75%. There you go. There you go. Um, and uh, as I was... What do you think, Ella? You like that? Yeah, I think, well, I know how much you love spreadsheets, so you should put that onto Infogram and pop it on the website. You know what else I really like about the spreadsheet is that I did all of the percentages through uh, formulas as opposed to actually just doing the math. That's impressive. It's impressive. I would whistle if I could, but I cannot whistle. So, um, if you want to learn more uh, embarrassing things about me, but I've uh, I've spent some time here researching some of Trump's highest profile statements uh, over the course of his run in preparation for a future uh, forum page, and I can't I, I can't reveal quite yet what the, what form that page is going to take, mm-hmm. but it will. It'll be interesting, but it is it is it is interesting to go back and look because there's a basically each month of his campaign so far. You know, he he declared his he announced his campaign in June. Every month since then, there's been at least one or two exciting comments from Trump. And you know, I was going to say that you know the the Trump campaign is probably something that journalists are thankful for this season. Uh, I don't know in ultimately if that's true or not, but certainly in terms of generating stories, he's he's done that. Um, but, you know, you go all the way back to June 16th, which is the campaign announcement speech where you have 
uh, when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. Uh, ellipses, they're bringing drug, drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. Then just a month later, or a little bit over a month later, July 18th, John McCain, quote, is a war hero because he got captured. I like people who weren't captured, unquote. That was the first time that a lot of people said that the Trump campaign was over. Of course, it wasn't. Uh, August, uh, we have uh, him talking about Megyn Kelly. She was asking all sorts of ridiculous questions, and you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. Um, you have, towards the end of August, uh, him beginning to repeat the phrase, low-energy person, over and over again about Jeb Bush. You have, um, in September, uh, his statement about Carly Fiorina. Look at that face. Would anyone vote for that? Can you imagine that? The face of our next president, unquote. And then on Rand Paul, about a week later or so, he says, I never attacked him on his look, and believe me, there's plenty of subject matter right there. Uh, in October... That's one of my favorite Trump lines. <laughs> uh, in October, uh, if you're talking about George Bush, I mean, say what you want. The World Trade Center came down during his time. Unquote. And then earlier this month, the, the memorable, how stupid are the people of Iowa, how stupid are the people of this co the country to believe this crap? And that's particularly in reference to the life story of Dr. Ben Carson. And then most recently, as you were saying, uh, John, uh, now I know they don't like to talk about it, but it was well covered at the time. There were people over in New Jersey that were watching it, a heavy Arab population that were cheering as the buildings came down, stated just this weekend. And again, that is, is, was definitely not true. Like that, that did not happen. There were scenes of people celebrating, but they were in the West Bank in the uh, occupied territories. So, so that's my, that's, that's my Trump research, mm -hmm. but it's, it's interesting to go back, back uh, to looking at those because I think a lot of people, you know, just pretty much, you have only so much memory for incendiary comments by Donald Trump. And then you go back and you realize, Oh yeah, there's this thing he said in yeah. August. There's this thing he said in July. There's this thing from June. It goes back. Ella. We met with a presidential candidate this week mm. who had some yes. strong feelings about Mr. Trump. Yes. And the things that Mr. Trump says. Yes. So that, that was Lindsey Graham. He came in for an editorial board on Monday. And he, he was, that was another famous Trumpism that happened earlier on in the campaign was that Trump gave out Lindsey Graham's personal cell phone number. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so add that that's to your right. list. That's right. I should. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and that may have been the biggest boost that Lindsey Graham ever got to his campaign. Um, but so, yeah, so Lindsey Graham was here. He's obviously been, he's, he's also running for president. He's been very critical of Trump throughout uh, the election process so far. But he did say that if Trump is ultimately the Republican nominee, that he will, however, unwillingly support him because he's the nominee. Um, there's also been some more speculation this week sort of coming from Trump himself about whether or not he will continue to be a Republican or if you will run as an independent. Um, and he's still been sort of pulling out the, if I'm if the GOP treats me fairly, then I will play nice. And if they don't play nice, I'm not going to play nice line. And he's, and he's defining treating him fairly or not based on the fact that a super PAC associated with Ohio Governor right. John Kasich is mounting a couple of million dollar advertising campaign against him, specifically, right. I think, in Ohio, but possibly some other places, basically calling into question his 
his, uh, you know, his being him being a Republican or a conservative. Right. And I think that that's kind of an interesting, I mean, I don't, I, I honestly haven't talked with the Kasich people. I, I feel like I need to reach out to them a little bit more. Um, and I'd be interested to write something kind of on this sort of back and forth. But I think that that's sort of, um, my hunch is that it's kind of Kasich sort of thinking of it as something that will uh, benefit him if it sort of positions him a little bit more in the, the limelight, looking at the one who's really taking on Trump. Um, but plenty of the other candidates have said, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage with Trump, basically. And it seems like Kasich kind of is. Um, but it has been interesting to see. I mean, I think that, <clears throat> I think that a lot of Republicans are starting to kind of panic now that it's getting so close to the, uh, the early, uh, voting states and Trump is still in the lead. Um, and most of, the uh, panicking, I think, has been coming on the Republican side because the Democrats, uh, I'm assuming, are just kind of sitting back and <laughs> watching this all unfold. Um, and it was really interesting for me. I was reading an article about some of the, you know, some some conservatives that have just been out calling Trump some of Trump's most recent statements about Syrian refugees and um, just the, the Muslim population in the United States in general. Um, you know, calling him a fascist for suggesting things like surveillance on mosques and identification cards for uh, American Muslims. Um, and Bill O'Reilly, actually, I was kind of surprised, called Trump out on his show a couple days ago um, about his comments on Muslims, but also that that uh, infographic uh, talking about how the percentages of blacks killed by blacks and whites killed by blacks and blacks killed by police. And Bill O'Reilly was taking Trump to task and saying, you know, Donald, I support you. I think you're a totally reasonable person. I don't know if Bill O'Reilly actually is supporting <laughs> Trump's uh, bid for president. I don't, let me just make that clear. But he said, you know, I think you're a reasonable person, but what are you doing? <laughs> and Trump said, I'm doing whatever the heck I want to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the, the question all along has been that given that Trump has a sizable wedge of support in the Republican uh, primary at this point or potential primary electorate. You know, I think other Republicans are, you know, they don't want to attack someone who has the support of, you know, one in four declared uh, re Republican potential voters at this point. You know, he has around 25 percent or so in most uh, most kind of national polls. And you know, that also means, if you want to look at it another way, that 75% of people in the Republican Party are not planning to vote for Donald Trump. But I'm, I'm sure that the other candidates would just as soon not alienate that that quarter or so who, who like him. And so the hope has always been that he would self-destruct in some way, self-immolate. And, um, and the issue becomes is if that doesn't happen, or if he's immune to the usual laws of political political gravity, which seems to be the case in some ways, um, the party itself would have to become much more involved in mounting a sustained attack against him and his character. And, and I think you're beginning to see some signs of that, that now. Certainly the, you know, because when you're talking about um, kind of questioning the character of Muslims in the Republican Party, you know, certainly there are people who, um, you know, don't like Muslim people probably in both parties. But, you know, one of the one of the cornerstones of the Republican Party is, you know, at least for this election cycle, is respect for religious liberty and the right. notion that, you know, and, and religious rights are very important to a, a large section of the, the party. 
So beginning to even suggest that you might, you know, look at one group more intently because of their religious beliefs, you know, I think there's a lot of actually quite conservative Republicans who find that a very troubling prospect. And so, you know, I, th I think that's one of the, one of the reasons that, that you've started to see that. But. Yeah. Back to Lindsey Graham. Yes. He was, so he, he called Trump out on some of these statements. He mm -hmm. said the things that Trump has been saying are making America less safe. Yes. And went so far as to say that he would hold Trump personally responsible if there was an attack, uh, a terrorist attack on America, that he feels that Trump's rhetoric is making the threat against the United States worse, is making us less safe, not more safe. Mm -hmm. And he likened a Trump uh, nominee to, uh, you know, supporting Trump as the nominee to accepting a ticket on the Titanic. Yes, he said, we're going to get creamed if Trump becomes the nominee. And he said he would accept the ticket on the Titanic, because <laughs> at least he'd be on the Titanic. Even so, that he, he paused, he gave a long pause. He didn't really want to answer the question whether he was going to support Trump or not, if Trump was the nominee. But uh, he said he would. Yep. Um, so that is our that is our Trump segment. You know, we we or Ella is, well, is that not I, our part well, of Trump no, segment? No, that that's our Trump segment. But I just wanted to I because I got when I got that press release about Trump meeting with all these. Uh, so the Trump campaign put out a press release today saying that he's going to have a news conference on um, Monday, I believe, in New York City, and he's going to announce the support of over a hundred. Uh, members of the, the black evangelical movement and church leaders, black church leaders. Uh, given his recent comments, I find that hard to believe, but I am preparing uh, to watch the press conference and see what happens. I, I'm sure there will be a press conference of some sort. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, so that is, uh, that is uh, we, we've given our thanks at the beginning of the show. We've talked about Donald Trump. And so I guess now all that's left is uh, to talk a little bit about marijuana. marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about marijuana. So that was a, it's a, been a big news story this week with a patient winning a court case to get her medical marijuana ID card. Oh, I thought we were back to what was in Alice Trunk. <laughs> Ho, ho. That's, that is definitely not in my trunk. <laughs> but nice try, John. <laughs> um, a, For oh. any, any state police that might be listening to this podcast. A, uh, as I said, a cancer patient took Governor Maggie Hassan more or less to court uh, over the issuance of a state medical marijuana ID card. And the court ordered that such a card be issued, even though there's no dispensaries open yet in the state. I believe you wrote about that story. I did. Um, I, I wrote about it uh, yep, yesterday and then again today. Um, and I spoke actually spoke to the woman who won the lawsuit, Linda Horan, um, today as she was receiving medical treatment at the Norris Cotton Cancer Center at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Um, Linda is a, she has stage four lung cancer. She's terminally ill. 
I don't think she knows exactly how much time she has left, but it's a matter of months, probably. Um, and her argument was, and uh, a judge in, in Merrimack County Superior Court sided with her, that um, the law as it was written did not say that patients could not go to dispensaries in other states, such as Maine or Massachusetts, to get medical marijuana as long as they had their uh, registry cards um, from the State Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and the state argued um, opposing that, but uh, ultimately uh, Horan and her lawyers won. She got her registry card today, and she is planning to go to Portland, Maine next week to buy some legal medical marijuana. And I have to say, this is not a, this is not a story that uh, makes Governor Hassan look particularly uh, warm or empathetic. Well, at this point, and, and I, I actually talked with Horan about this, and this is in my story. So Horan's a longtime labor activist, and she was, she was given a Lifetime Achievement Award at the annual labor breakfast in September, and she had the microphone, you know, was accepting her award, and she took the time to basically call Hassan out and say, anything you can do to help open these dispensaries faster and help get the patients the, what they need would be greatly appreciated. And she said to me on the phone that, that you know, Hassan listened to her but did not really respond and um, ultimately did not reach out to her um, to, you know, to, to talk or set up a meeting. Hassan's people did say that they have been trying to reach out to Linda Horan, um, but, uh, you know, so the, there's a little bit of uh, diverging opinion on that. Um, but basically, Hassan's... Uh, throughout this process has been putting out statements saying, not really taking a side either way. Um, she's said... Well, I mean, you know, you know, defending it in court is definitely right. taking, a, taking a side in a way. <clears throat> right, right. But I mean, you know, saying that there, there needs to be urgency on this issue while following all of the proper laws. So now that, now that this has changed, it's unclear if um, other people are going to also be able to get their registry cards. Um, I talked to uh, some people at the Attorney General's office, and they said they are currently evaluating their next steps um, to see what the ruling means. So they could file an appeal, um, but there's also a chance that they will just accept it as it is. I mean, but ha yeah, Hassan uh, opposed the one of the measures, one of the uh, kind of stopgap things mm -hmm. was the home grow option, and right. Hassan was not in favor of that. And so there have been others before. Linda Horan, who have stepped up and advocated for this, who have since died. So this isn't a, a new thing. These are terminally ill people. Clayton Holden was a guy who testified in favor of the medical marijuana legislation. And he was, uh, you know, he had a hard time putting, keeping weight on. And he has since died. And he predicted that he was going to die before medical marijuana was available in New Hampshire. And yet, so you've got these things, the, these people that are on their deathbed trying to say, I want this medicine before I die. I don't want to be taking these powerful opiates. And yet we have the government officials, the elected leaders who say, well, we have to follow the proper protocols. What their argument is, just give them the cards, let them drive across state lines. No crime will be committed, so to speak, until they drive across the state lines with the marijuana, um, but that it's pretty much medicine, medicine that they need. No harm, no foul. Right. 
Well, and and as um, Ella pointed out in her story, I believe, the law passed at this point 28 months ago. So it's been more than nearly two and a half years at this point. There still is not a single medical marijuana dispensary open in the state. That's true. None has been dispensed. Um, I believe they awarded... They've awarded contracts mm-hmm. to some to some vendors, but I mean, we still don't have we still don't have any of that stuff up and running yet. Right. Which there's a whole other criticism of of that too, because the way they carved the state up into these four zones, that people who live really far north they have to drive down to Plymouth, and you know the way that the shape of our state is, it would be easier for someone to drive to Maine in many cases if you live in northern New Hampshire to go to a dispensary in Maine than it would be to drive south in New Hampshire to get down to Plymouth. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting issue. I, I, I find just given New Hampshire's live free or die reputation that the kind of skittishness that medical marijuana is treated with here is a little curious. And I, I've never quite been able to to figure out why it's you know when you compare this state to basically all of our immediate neighbors to Maine, to Vermont, to Massachusetts. Um, I mean, not all of which are necessarily more liberal than us. Right. Um, you know, why, why it's, it's such a heavier lift here. But I don't know. Probably the subject of a think piece some, somewhere sometime. Um, well, that being said, that's a little downbeat. Um, any other thoughts before we... Well, Linda, shop Linda today. Warren, she, she will be driving to Maine next week, yes, right? Yes, I don't know exactly what day she is planning to go, but yeah, she and her, uh, I think she's going to be met by a representative, Maine representative there, um, and they are you know, going to make sure that she can get it, and uh, she said she's looking forward to it. She She's down to, I think, when, you know, a couple weeks ago when people were reporting stories about her, she was... Uh, a little over 100 pounds. She's since dropped to 94 pounds um, because she doesn't want to eat anything um, because her disease has made her so nauseous. So I think she is really hoping that it will help with the pain, but it will also spur her appetite. So she said she felt uh, she was feeling a little down earlier this week waiting for the decision, but when she got the decision, she said she felt perfect again. So that was nice to hear. Great. John. Her final crusade. That's what she called it, Clay. I see. Well, John, you know that at this point in most of our podcasts, I do turn to you and say, John, is there anything else today? And you oftentimes have something, but... I would urge people caution, Clay, that when they put their turkeys in the outdoor fryers, (laughs) that they don't... (laughs) (laughs) They don't spill hot oil on themselves. Did I miss something? <laughs> it is a it is a joke from earlier today. But yes, avoid the hot peanut oil at all costs. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Ella. Thank you, Clay. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And for more political coverage, 
please visit politics.conqueredmonitor.com.